Hi, and welcome to Calm Cash. I'm your host, Ben Jackson. Well, congratulations. You've made it to the halfway point of 2020. That is an accomplishment because this year has been, at best, disruptive, and at worst, pretty devastatingly terrible. We've talked about the power of self-reflection before, so it seems like a good time to stop and take stock of where we are, what we've been through, and try to use this information and intelligence to inform where we may be at the end of this year with our money health, our mental health, and achieving our goals. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get going. Johns Hopkins University in Maryland is a renowned school. They made headlines early in the pandemic with their work on a coronavirus map and trends that became widely used and a source of truth. But I want to go to a different department at the esteemed university to tell you a quote that I think best describes where we've been this year and where we still are today. George Everly teaches disaster mental health and resilience at Johns Hopkins, and here's how he describes it. There's no doubt that the coronavirus pandemic will be the most psychologically toxic disaster in anyone's lifetime. He continues, this pandemic is a disaster of uncertainty, and the greater the uncertainty surrounding a disaster, the greater psychological casualties. So George isn't holding back here, and I appreciate his candor. So much of the mental health impact is yet to be written or fully known about what we're all going through. But we do have some preliminary data from the American Psychological Association and the Pew Research Center. Typically, the APA issues an annual report on their mental health surveys, but this year they're releasing monthly reports. I think that shows just how impactful this event is. What are the key themes? No surprises, really. Stress and anxiety pretty much everywhere you look. In the June APA report, 83% of Americans say the future of our nation is a significant source of stress after the virus surged and the death of George Floyd ignited protests and further police action. 67% of people say the government's response to the crisis is causing stress. Another significant cause of emotional distress is the economy. 70% of Americans say it is a significant form of stress in 2020, compared to only 46% of people saying this just a year ago in 2019. The 70% figure is similar to those seen during the Great Recession of 2008 and could climb higher if the economy is slower to reopen than some hope. Clinical signs of depression are on the rise, especially for those facing financial challenges. In data from the Pew Research team, 55% of people facing financial hardship are exhibiting clinical signs of severe anxiety and depression. Engagement with the Federal Disaster Distress Hotline, run by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Association, increased by more than 1,000% last month. People are hurting and in need of help. And before we throw younger people under the bus for not caring about the pandemic or broader issues, the Pew Research shows that 33% of adults aged 18 to 29 are in the high distress group when measuring pandemic stress, compared to just 15% in high distress for the age 65 and over cohort. Don't make assumptions about entire groups of people just because you see a video of a packed bar or a crowded beach of young people on TV or social media. 
there are just as many knucklehead 70-year-olds walking around without masks and going to restaurants. Now more than ever, we need to understand and manage our biases and the sweeping generalizations that can come with them. Looking forward, unfortunately, I see more mental health challenges for two reasons. First, the coronavirus is not yet under control, and therefore, I think we'll see more disruption in our lives, which will create more potential stress and anxiety. That could mean having to quarantine again, be away from loved ones, and carry the worry of catching this terrible virus. Second, this is an election year, and it's already setting up to be a heated contest because of the state of the country. Have you ever heard of ESD? It stands for Election Stress Disorder. Coined by therapist Stephen Stosny, ESD is the phrase used to explain the negative emotional stress of an election. For many people, discussing politics under any circumstances is challenging, but we see heightened concerns every four years for the presidential election cycle. In 2016, 52% of American adults said in an APA survey that the election was a somewhat significant source of stress. And you can be assured that this number will be significantly higher in 2020 with the backdrop of the pandemic, racial inequality, and the economy weighing on everyone's minds. So how do we keep our cool and remain calm in this climate? Here are four tips to keep coping. First, we have to continue to set boundaries. Stressful news cycles are going to continue. Remember those shocking headlines get clicks and generate money for all these media outlets. So you have to allocate your time based on how much news you can handle. It's great that you care about what's happening in politics or going on with the virus or in the world, but don't let it consume you. I say 30 minutes a day is enough to stay informed, formulate your own opinions, and then move on. Second, we have to continue to prioritize self-care. Remember that our physical health and our mental health are inextricably linked. So to stay sharp mentally and emotionally, you've got to stay on track with your sleep, your activity, and, and what you put into your body. Regular exercise, even just 20 minutes a day, can help with the mounting anxiety in our lives, and good decisions around food and alcohol intake will help with sleep, keeping a healthy weight, and avoiding creating dependencies and addictions. Number three, change what's changeable and control what's controllable. Tara Linsell is a licensed counselor, and she has a great qu quote about control. She says, understanding what we can control and what we can change is powerful to our own stress levels. Accepting the idea that we can only control ourselves and change things for us is a reminder to not get caught up in ruminating on the unchangeable and the uncontrollable. It's important to point the finger inward and ask, what about this can I change and control? I love this quote because it's so true right now. I can't change the trajectory of the coronavirus or control the outcome of how minorities are treated by others. All I can control is my own effort, attitude, and actions to make things better for myself and those around me. Instead of getting caught up in the actions or inactions of others, get excellent at maximizing what is under your own control and letting the rest go. And fourth, ask for help when you need it. Things are just really hard right now, and it's okay to not be okay. If you're feeling overwhelmed, get help. Don't wait. Don't know where to turn? 
ask a family member or a friend, or even ask me. I'm serious. I'll help. Just email me. Ben at calm.cash. I hope I'm wrong about the second half of the year and how it will go regarding our mental health. I want that as much as anyone, but I just see more potential challenges on the road ahead. It's better to prepare now and keep proactively managing our mental health and our emotional health. So let's turn to the money side of things. It's important to remember that the stock market and the economy are not the same thing. The economy is still not doing great. Despite a slightly upbeat jobs report last Thursday, where the economy added almost 5 million jobs, the unemployment rate is still over 11%. And for all the jobs we've lost since March, only one out of three have returned to the workforce. We still have a long way to go, which involves creating conditions for businesses to reopen and for people to get back to work. But there's another interesting dynamic that is slowing down the recovery. Opportunity Insights is a Harvard-based group that has been studying consumer spending, and their findings are really important. The richest 25% of Americans have reduced their spending significantly. In mid-April, this top quartile spent 36% less than they did in mid-March. And even in June, their overall spending is still reduced by about 18% from those March spending levels. Most of these people haven't lost their jobs. And instead, they're worried about contracting the virus by being in public, consuming goods and services. The hardest hit areas from this group not spending are hotels, transportation, and food services. This reduction in spending has hit the lowest earning Americans, and it's actually slowing down our overall recovery, the experts at Opportunity Insights believe. The longer it takes to safely consume these services, the more likely it will be that the wealthiest Americans keep their money on the sidelines or invest it elsewhere. The stock market, on the other hand, has had an amazing second quarter, which are the months of April, May, and June. During this time period, anywhere you looked, there was a great story. The stops, stocks making up the Dow Jones Industrial Average were up 17.8%, which was its best quarter since 1987. The S&P 500 was up 20%, its best three months since 1998. And the NASDAQ rose 31%, posting the best quarter since 1999. So why is this happening? Well, first, there are some companies that are thriving during these conditions. Apple, Netflix, Amazon, Microsoft, and other large tech giants are winning in this environment. And because these large leaders in tech make up significant portions of stock market indexes like the S&P 500, their stock price movement higher has an outsized effect on the broader market. The second reason is even more important, and it's the activity of the Federal Reserve. The Fed is printing money faster than at any time in our history and pouring money into the economy, about $3 trillion in the last few months alone. They're even buying junk bonds and other corporate bonds and adding them to their balance sheet. They're basically acting as a crutch to prop up entire portions of our economy and keep companies from collapsing. What this is doing is helping the rich get even richer and widening the gap between the haves and the have-nots. The have-nots being people that do not or can't afford to participate in the stock markets. Where is the economy and stock market going to be at the end of the year? 
Well, let's listen to the Fed, since they have some of the best data. In minutes of their June meeting released a few days ago, they said they were worried about a second wave of recession sweeping through the country if the virus could not be contained, forcing businesses to close and economic activity to grind to a halt again. This would result in more job losses and a slide back to unemployment at around 15%. What they didn't say in the minutes is that if this happens, they'll just keep printing more money and injecting it into the economy, which will ultimately show up in the markets. So millions may lose their jobs again. Some additional companies will go bankrupt, but my guess is it won't crater the markets. Sure, there'll be volatility, but the consequences of all this money printing won't be felt for a while. Is it fair or prudent in the long run? Probably not. Is it needed right now to keep as many companies and people afloat? I think the answer is yes. Sure, I'm worried about what this means to our future economy, but for the second half of this year, I would expect more of the same when it comes to the stock market. So if you're investing in markets, stick with the big tech giants and the theme of the rich getting richer. Low-fee index funds tracking the S&P and NASDAQ feel pretty good too for the foreseeable future. I will say gambling on companies disrupted by COVID, like airlines and cruise ships, could really backfire, so tread lightly. There's been an explosion of day traders making volatile bets in the news, so don't risk more than you can afford to lose if you want to take a stab at some of these high-risk stock plays. For me, I'm staying away. One final reminder that you've heard me say before Americans continue to struggle with having emergency savings or rainy day funds available for income or job disruption. With the virus surging again in many states, it's possible closures and company bankruptcies will rise again. And while I hope you're not at all impacted, it's a good idea and sound money strategy to plan for the worst and have some cash you can easily tap into if that rainy day does show up. So at least $1,000 but in the long run, targeting three to six months of essential living expenses. I know I sound like a broken record on this, but it's just really important and can protect you and your family when you need it most. One last thing before we go, I want to thank you all for supporting Calm Cash whenever you join this journey. It started in January of this year and continues to build momentum and get more traction, which I'm so thankful for. In a pretty dark year, This has been an outlet for me creatively and a project to focus my interests and passions on. I probably need this way more than you do, and I just want to say thanks for your support. 2020 is the year that feels like a decade. The first half has been trying, but I hope the back half of the year finds you safe and healthy in your mental health and your money health. I'll see you next week.